0: I think the best piece of advice I could tell anybody is to not get way too emotional about keeping every piece of property that you have. Yeah.
1: So we know you you love to travel. I think you're definitely on the travel leaderboard from uh, from the three of us. Once I got to that point where I felt like I had done well and I wanted
0: to go kind of enjoy some of my success at the time, um, I started traveling. And what I did love about traveling was it taught me how to delegate. We were on the flight, and I actually used, I think, something absurd, like 60,000 American airline points or something to book, to pay for my Wi-Fi on the flight. And Phil actually almost choked me on the plane because that's the same amount of points he used to book his entire first-class flight to Hong Kong. You know what it takes to sell real estate?
1: The art of putting the deal together. I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this because this is my calling. I
2: believe in it. I love it. Try to master your craft and don't give up. Even if the money's not coming in, just trust the process. Because you're only as good as your team. I learned that the hard way. Half of it is talent. The other half of it is what your people skills are.
1: everyone to the podcast. Uh, on today's show, we have Eddie Waters. Um, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Before we get going here, a quick little intro about um, Eddie. Eddie has been in the real estate business for over 10 years. He has sold over 300 million in deals. We call him the GOAT or the King of Tucson. Um, He he grew up here, you've been involved in residential and investment uh, side of business for a long time, you have a team of over 10 agents, Um, you're the founder and owner of local real estate group, and without further ado,
2: the king of Tucson. I love it.
0: Thank you guys for having me on the podcast. Excited to see what we can talk about today and kind of run through everything.
2: Perfect, perfect. So obviously we're gonna make Alan happy as always. Make sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, and all the good stuff. The video uh, is gonna be all over the place and on all the different podcast channels um, and we'll dive right into it. Um, First question obviously always is like, how did you get into real estate and kind of what do you do? Like walk us through your first year, how you got started.
0: I got started like most real estate agents do. Um, Someone kind of mentioned the opportunity to me and I thought there was a pretty low barrier of entry. It was something that really appealed to me. And um, once I got up and running, I found out that I kind of had a niche for it based on things I've done in the past. Um, Construction and design, those were some of my favorite things to do. So getting into real estate and implementing those things that I really love to do into the business helped me kind of grow the company a lot faster than I anticipated. And we just kind of snowballed from a single agent up into a real estate team. And um, it, was, it was a good experience. You know, I like
2: it, happy where we've grown to. So you have 10 agents right now. Tell us a little bit about how you started building the team and you know, what are the challenges? Because we get that question a lot of times, like should we do a team, should we be a What's the challenge? I think a lot of people underestimate running a team. What, sport, do you, yeah. what do you enjoy the most?
0: Yeah, so I mean, if I think about it, I met with you guys way back in the day before you had the real estate team, the bro preach, everything, you know? And I think the biggest thing is you guys knew then was like for me, just starting with that first piece, um, which for me at the time was an assistant. So I was an independent agent, I hired an assistant. Once myself and my assistant got too busy, we brought on a buyer's agent. We kind of just kept taking those steps until we had 10 agents and before you know it, um, it kind of happens a lot quicker than you think once you get the momentum and you have the business coming in. It's just really piecing those small steps
1: together to where you're going how is the how is the setup so you got t- 10 agents I know you have your, your assistant Chelsea yeah like give us a little bit of insight of how you set up right now and how you how you split up your day you know well, how much how much goes into the agent side of the business right yeah how much goes into the actual team side of the business right which is not necessarily transactional, right That's more like the Personal part and how much time do you spend on the development and investment side? Yeah, and so what
0: I typically do is I normally have about two assistants on my team. One that helps me kind of run the team, one that helps me with the more personal side of getting all my flips, rentals, utilities, insurance, all that stuff handled for the business. That's Chelsea, right? Yeah, so Chelsea helps me with that um, kind of personal side and component, but also is like the administrative, helps me with the team agreements and the brokerage side. And then I normally have an assistant that helps me with my showings, emailing clients when I'm unavailable. If I'm out of town, they're helping me kind of take care of the day to day operations that I can do. So I'm communicating with the clients. I'm negotiating the offers. I'm making sure that all the critical parts are getting taken care of. But if we need to get a client in to get the doors opened or anything like that, one of my assistants is helping me knock out those tasks. And then, um, as you guys know, too, the uh, fix and flip side of the business was really big for me before the recent market change. And now we've really turned that fix and flip business more into a rental and holding company business. So we're liquidating the last few of the flips and kind of moving more into the long term rental play for the good things like we've noticed, like tax advantages and other you know, long term wealth plays.
2: Yeah, which is a good point. I mean, we do the same thing. We're, like, transitioning a little bit from some of the developments to more, like, buy the whole stuff. Like you said, market changes, you know, opportunity, everybody, like, you know, we all learned a lot about tax applications, women, the their family side. So maybe walk us a little bit through, like, um, we know the flips here, already, obviously, i a good setup with your family. being for involved, your brother helped on the you on the, on the, that we did, and your dad. So um, how are you set up on, on the construction side of things when you, you get into these like, how's everything? Be managed. So we normally have four different general contractors that
0: we work with on a regular basis. As you guys know, the one that just helped us with our carbon project, my father, he's awesome. He'll take care of us anytime. In addition to that, we've got three other general contractors that we work with. Each one of them kind of has a different style, a different structure and different finish type. But for the most part, we kind of stick to the same traditional things that we know work. We know they fit in the budget. And we're trying to just get them knocked out in an efficient time time frame. And for the most part, all of our contractors that we keep around are able to do that for us on a consistent basis. And that's why we keep them around. We know if we pass them the keys, when we buy something, but it's going to be taken care of when we get the keys back. And that's what
2: we're looking for. How many deals a year do you do on the flip side?
0: Um, on the flip side, the numbers used to be a lot higher, to be honest. Um, we do anywhere around 15 flips at a given time. So probably around 40 flips a year, I'd say, when we were doing a pretty good number. Now when we roll into it, I'm independent. I used to have partners in the flips and um, because market changes and people's finances change and cash flow changes, it's only stuff to keep same consistent partners, um, unless you're just really doing well winning all the time, right? So I've moved to independent remodels and that's lower the number, but it's also increased, you know, the amount of control we have over each deal, which is what we like.
1: And something I want to touch uh, base on as as you were speaking, we've known each other for uh, many years, right? And a lot of the things that we talk about, that we get asked is, you know, how do you uh, find the right business partner, right? How do you build that trust? Um, how long did it take until we actually started doing business together? I think we've been dating for a while. So I
0: feel like definitely I've met with you boys a handful of times, you know, over the years, we always talk business, we always share notes, we compare projects, ideas, um, tax accounts, and kind of just gauge each other's level of business and where we want to take things. And I feel like when you're choosing to work or do business with someone, especially in long-term projects, it's very important to have that clear understanding upfront of like what the objective is, make sure everybody's on the same page and everyone's got the same end goal in mind.
2: And if you could do that, then I
0: feel like you're in pretty good shape.
2: I think it, it happened very organically too, right? It's yeah. not like we sat down and said, let's do a deal now. It was more like yeah, one day you called and said, hey, boys, maybe I might, might have the first deal for us, right? And it kind of like it just randomly came up and we, you sent it over and we, we drove down, looked at it, and then we you know, obviously trusted you 100% because you're the, the gold of Tucson, right? <laughs> so I you that as a good deal and we, we you know, kind of went with it. And it's also surprisingly for all three of us the first like bigger deal in multi Family Site, right? It's
1: so not yeah. like we start yeah. with a small, small deal right out no, of the game, right We jump right in. Yeah. So maybe
2: let's talk about that deal. Obviously we have the separate video that um, that um, you guys will see on the channel that kinda like walks the property a little bit. But let's talk a little bit about that deal because um, we have gotten a lot of questions about it, probably you, you too. Um, so let's let's go a little bit through, you know. Rough numbers, acquisition. Where did the deal come from? How did we actually take it down? And then we kind of like go through the, the whole deal. Maybe before
1: we yeah. talk about the deal, two a lot of the same. Um, just a full circle. One, it just it just takes time sometimes, right? You got to be patient and generally build those relationships. And things comes comes together organically. Just in our case. Yeah. The second thing is do you boys remember our uh, attempt to start a, a sign placement business. Oh, Open house yeah, absolutely. That was a non starter by the way, yes, realized right. pretty quickly a that lot of, of those people <laughs>
0: who wanted to get in that business turned into wholesalers. <laughs> so they <yeah. laughs> so have the wholesale business, a lot of them. But
1: let's talk about the deal yeah. right
0: away. Um, okay. So that deal kind of came across our plate. And as you guys know, I think it's very important. Like accepting a deal and turning down a deal are two of the best things to make you mind. If it's a wrong deal, you don't want to take it down. We've all learned that before we started today, we were talking about a big loss we had, right? So we're always cautious with those deals. And this deal happened to land on the desk of us and um, we were looking at it. We saw that it had a ton of potential, but it was a huge project. As you guys know, over a million dollar renovation. And for most people, that's a pretty big project to take on.
1: Plus it was sitting on the market for how many days? Correct, yeah. This was on the market for a
0: little over 90 days. And um, the seller wanted to get out of the deal but they also didn't want to just fire or sell the deal. So after we got in, we did our research and we had a ballpark idea of what the figures looked like. We were able to come in with a strong and educated offer, not just a low ball offer, and kind of show them how much it was going to take to get the deal done, what numbers worked and what numbers wouldn't work. That way we could put it together. And um, at that and time- financing the place- with With construction component, right? Yep, exactly. And you guys brought the financing to the table. Um, from some of your other partners as well, which knocked it out of the park and made the deal even sweeter for us. Um, so, I really think the biggest problem we had with that deal was just trying to figure out how we were going to put all the pieces together with it being our first deal we ever took on together. Like you guys said, it wasn't a small deal we took on, so just getting it together, being Astro, opening the company, getting all those wheels kind of put on the bus, and getting it moving
1: down the road was just awesome. And let's talk about those spaces too. I mean, we just, we just shot an update uh, video together at the property. But let's talk about the faces because it's not like you know, we just did everything at once. There were some tenants in place, right? But the yep. property was like in uh, absolute terrible shape for the most part. Yeah. Uh, inhabitable. We had no foundation, some of the units. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And as you guys know
0: too, it's kind of hard for us when we're projecting the budget on the deal like this to really know what we're getting into until you open the walls and you can see the structural components, the framing, concrete foundation, stuff like that. So we had a few hurdles that we came into budget wise on this one, but we overcame them in pretty efficient manners and we were able to still stay on track. I think we ended up going all in about 45,000 over budget, maybe 55, but for a project of this scale, I think that's pretty good for this.
1: And we had the the cash, all of us available to to kind of fund the surplus. And we made decisions yeah. quickly, right? we knew. It's going to cost what it's going to cost. We made some improvements too, right? I remember when we talked about the, fur, uh, the, the turf, we talked about um, those little, little patios there, right? So we added some value along the way and made conscious decisions yep. to spend more money to make it a really nice place we turned to the day. Yeah, which
0: that helps us get the higher rents, all of that stuff. I and mean, when you guys go back to talking about um, business partners and kind of selecting the right ones, what I like is you guys had experience kind of going into this. You know that not every project's gonna be on budget, not every project's gonna be on the timeline at the, the end of the <laughs> day. None <laughs> of it. <laughs> and, and the people in the business, they know that, but the major thing that you wanna know your partners can do is overcome those obstacles, make it seamless, smooth, and get things back on track. And that's what you guys did in this situation, and I think knowing you have partners that can fund the deal, provide valuable insight, and have good connections and resources, those are critical.
1: And understand clients. value, right? I mean, we're all. Very synced. There was never any any situation where it was before going into that deal, or even now. What one and a half years later, after we decided to buy this, yep. where you know Patrick always I were saying, I don't know, we already agree with Eddie. We don't want to go that way. So you know, I think that um, you know, key key takeaway is being absolutely synced on top of having the trust and the same vision. Because you know, this is not just going to be one deal. I mean, we can talk about goals here in a second for us. And we did have like that hiccup up, you know, we had there was a, a forced
2: per- person in the deal in the very beginning, right? So we had to like you know, again like those deals step curve bolts, right? That was one of them and it's like, you know, okay, so one of four went out, like what's the rest gonna do? And I think what was very crucial for us is learning from this too is is, you know, how good this partnership worked because we hoped on one call, came up with a solution, you negotiated the deal on the other end and you know, I everybody mean, put their piece of the money in and it was done deal. Like it was very smooth uh, regardless of what the sort of hiccup was during the process. Like between the three of us it was never more than a text of pre call and we always agreed on it. I think that's that's in, like irreplaceable. Like that's something you you don't find a lot at your point. Like, you know, even if parties save the money they start to like say you no know, about putting it in. That was think like, I think it was very smooth and um, I think the biggest thing we see right now is like finding the New Deal, right? Like I, I think we established like this this the uh, you know this three people, the team here, can do a new deal. Uh, so, right now the trouble is finding good deals. Like, where is the market at in Tucson? What do you see, opportunity-wise, um, you know, on the horizon? Like, are there good deals coming? And What are the challenges right now, with, like, not good deals? So, I
0: think the challenge we might be running into is when we're looking for these good deals, there's tons of competition, as you guys know. Um, A lot of California investors and heavy cash investors is what we see here in the Tucson marketplace. And they really want to buy these deals. They want to tie them up quick. They want to value add or just kind of run them the way they are and collect the rents. And so what we're looking to do is find something that's kind of off market that we kind of pick up direct to seller or a good wholesaler that may have a connection, find that deal, put it together with them, and then be able to have a good solid value add opportunity. That's what we're looking for. And we always want to make it a win-win-win for us, wherever we find the deal,
2: the seller, and ourselves. That's to your point, the the deal we we did together, was on the market for 90 days, nobody really wanted it, and and, uh, looking back, now it's an absolute home run deal, right? Yeah, so sometimes you have to create the value, it's not like black and white for everybody to see. Maybe um, to go back to our deal, kind of walk through the rents where they were when we first bought it, where we are right now and how the whole like financial setup is on our
1: seven, just like yeah. the basic, basic yeah. number. So we bought the property. We just, we just went through the numbers again for a million, million 89 right back yep. in end of uh, December of 2021. I think it was on the last, right. we bought it on the last business day. And a year later we refied it yep. on the last business day of the year. That's how we do it. And uh, what I really liked about the deal originally, guys, and you saw this
0: too, is when you look at the pro forma of where the actual rents were, I mean, there's probably 75 to 85% vacancy on the building, which was huge. And so that means that no traditional bank's gonna finance that deal. It's gotta be a cash purchase or hard money acquisition. And the rents of the rented units were around $450 from the casitas, which you guys saw. And now we're renting those same casitas, fully renovated for around $1,100 a month when we say
1: casita right we're talking about 320 square feet you guys can check out the the other videos that we that we shot it's a fairly um compact living yeah so
0: 320 square feet i mean getting 1100 dollars a month for those is pretty impressive but we knew what we were doing going into the deal we targeted u of a students we wanted really nice finishes nice appliances we gave nice laundry facilities turf corrugated steel fencing, made the buildings really modern, and we took pride of ownership in the building, which is one thing we all had kind of in common going into the project. If we're gonna do it, we want it to look nice and be something we can keep long-term, and that's what we did. So that's why we were able to get those rents. I don't think many people looked at it thinking they could get eleven hundred $100 a month in rent for those casitas, when it was originally marketed for sale. Well,
1: because nobody, you know, like that back to the value, right? Nobody uh, saw doing, doing such a value undertaking the way we did it, right? Correct. Which is pretty much uh, yeah. to new building, some of the instances of those, uh, those uh, units.
0: Yep, and that worked out great for all of us. You know, the tax advantages, everything that comes with that big of a project was perfect and that's why we're looking for the next one now.
2: And I think the other thing we all agreed on, which is good and you would know, always see that we all agreed to do it right. And right? like you just mentioned, the sub floors, you, you know, like near roof, near AC. So like, it's basically almost like up to new construction at that point, right? Yeah. There's no warranty. So, again, like we all were in the same mindset as far as like, let's do it right and not just paint it that, you know, deal with issues uh, because you're planted holy, right? Uh, yeah. So, we just talked about we, we spent about a million one, just the a million one um, on the acquisition. They actually have to be almost exactly a million one also the rehab within 2 2. Um, maybe walk us through the, the appraisal and the financing, you know, kind of all that structure, the rental income. Uh, just like bigger picture, the whole deal.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the, maybe let's, let's start um, at the, at the refi, which, you know, is also something that's not a, we don't, didn't do a conventional refi um, out of our, you know, kind of bridge investment construction financing. We did it a little bit different. So let's, right. let's touch on that too.
0: Yeah. And that worked out pretty well too, because we got a as it is appraised value. Um, when we only had 11 of the 17 units rented for 2.79 and that was then valuing the building off of just what we had there the 11 units being rented so now that we have the complete 17 units rented the valuation on that is 3.4 million so with the acquisition price of 1 million one, to round up and then you know another million dollars for the renovation that puts us at 3.4 million dollar ARV which gave us a good spread of almost 1.2 million equity which is a pretty good play for a project for this size.
1: And then when we, we used a uh, renewal financial, shout out to Brendan, cause he knocked it out of the park for us he uh, did. when we purchased it. Um, and then end of 2022, we did a refi uh, with a bank, right? But we did, a, we did a refi where we got additional construction money to finish the remainder of the units, you yep. know, phase two. Um, that then pretty much converts into into permanent uh, debt. You want to touch on that real quick?
0: Yeah, and that permanent debt actually worked out really well too because it was interest-only financing while we finished the construction phase, which was very helpful because it let us use some of the cash flow from the rents to put that into the renovation budget, extremely helpful. And then once that converts over to the primary, you know, long-term financing, we're already going to have those other units rented and be in a secure position. So that's a nice, part of that loan structure. And if we want to do a cash out refinance, that's always an option that's on the table for us as well, where we could actually recoup almost all of our original investment
1: and still have a cash flowing asset, which at the end of the day, that's a a win. And we discussed the strategy a couple of times, but maybe um, share with everyone else what are we, what was our conclusion when we talked about that? And where do we want to stand as far as um, longer value and cash flow? In order to position the asset correctly uh, when we actually have everything rented out and, and do the cash out before yeah my
0: opinion on that is always that you know cash flow is going to be critical the um, value or equity is always nice to have but if you're holding the asset long term that's not cash in your pocket if you have the cash flow every month you're getting those you know returns and you can see the investment paying off you know you got cash to cover anything that pops up it's never a huge liability so, if you can keep the debt at 65 to 70% of ARV, that's always the most comfortable position. Anything above that, if you're kind of pulling a little too much juice out of the deal, in my
2: opinion. Let's talk, what we talked, just talked about uh, property management, right? That's one of the other things you own, obviously, outside already a lot of other company units. Do you own right now, um, including our. Near 17 package, I have 44 units. So you always to deal with a lot of tenants, clients, neighbors, other stuff, you know, property management, maybe walk a little bit through the ups and downs of, you know, owning so many units and, you know.
0: For the most part, everything has been very smooth, but that's because the property management team that we have as we put on this deal is great. They take care of it, they make sure we get highly qualified tenants, they're not just renting it to the first person that inquires, and that for long-term cash flow is critical because if you get a unit rented, but then it's vacant four months or six months and you're missing out on those collections of rents, it's just gonna get you every time. So a key component to any good deal is definitely a good property management team, which thankfully we have here in Tucson. Any crazy stories so far? Nothing too crazy, but as you guys saw, we had a couple of you know, low rider tenants and stuff at <laughs> one of our buildings that we had to get out of there. But- What is a low rider? A tenant? low rider is, uh, you'll see a lot of them around here t- in Tucson. Um, but a lowrider tenant is someone that doesn't have a legit job, and uh, they're earning their income in mischievous ways. Okay, and they—what kind of lease agreement do those tenants have? Yeah, I don't think they really have a lease agreement. So uh, what we normally do is give them a eviction notice and try and get them out of our properties. But for the most part, as you guys can see, we've had like college students and like great tenants in there. So if we get a bad tenant in most of our properties, if it's a fourplex, three of the good tenants are going to point it out to us, and we're going to be able to address that. Pretty
2: I think it's a good story. So, ours and we have the, the naked guy that was full of drugs from naked throughout the whole complex. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. We had the pig. We really guy that had a pig and took all the papers in the backyard so it can run around. As, as you guys know, mostly the
0: good stories come from when you buy these projects, the people you have in them. I think when we bought this project, we thought we had maybe three or four tenants, but I think we found out we had maybe eight tenants.
1: Some Those living in, in the unit, so low right at the tenant ratio, yeah, which yeah. one to one. I mean, <laughs> if you go back to your yeah, you
0: go back to your original video. You're trying to take a video of the
2: house, and someone's in the unit yeah. that shouldn't be yeah. occupied at all. That's a little concerning. So we run into that all the time. Yeah, so. then again, that was like a really the whole house was in really rough condition. Right? I mean, structurally yeah. and everything. Um, and I I think maybe touch a little bit on the difference because we look at another deal right now that we kind of all like, but it's maybe a little bit more turnkey. Um, so the difference between the more of a turnkey ready product versus a value product ups and downs uh, from your perspective, because you do have a lot of investors too the buy finished product. Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest thing that we all probably can agree on is if
0: you're looking at a deal and you're not sure if it's a deal or if you got to sell yourself on it being a deal it's never a deal you want to buy. Like that's one thing I've learned. Any deal I know I shouldn't have bought, but I talk myself into it, and then I close on the deal It's something that I end up having a loss on, or a break even, or it was a waste of time. So I think as long as we're all in like the general opinion that if we look at the deal, we love the deal, we buy it, that's the best way to kind of structure those deals. And there's always good exit strategies like we talked about on this deal, If it's two big parcels, we can sell one parcel for a profit, keep the other one at a better rate, there's a lot of good access strategies we can kind of
1: do. Just depends on the deal. What are um, what are the goals? What are we trying to, what's our two, five year plan here? Yeah, so I mean, our
0: collective goals, it'd be nice to see us grab another at least 50 units, I'd say 40 to 50 units in the next 12 months. And if we can get, um, consistently keep growing on that, I think that'd be a no brainer. And then I'm sure you guys have goals on your own as well.
1: Yeah, we definitely want to do, uh, deal with you back in our neck of the woods, right? In the Absolutely. Stimpy area. Because uh, yep. you've been uh, busting your ass here, and I think this is a good opportunity to say thank you. You've been like nothing but amazing, and this is, uh, this is a great first deal, and uh, we'll, we'll return uh, the labor favor and in a couple of dip throw thinners in their, there. There we go. Wisconsin. That's all we need, man. And the deal was a win for all of us, that
0: was the best part about this, but I mean, Ultimately, that was uh, the first big project that we've taken on together as a group. And you know, running construction on that was definitely, it was definitely time consuming, but it was incredible to be able to see the deal come together at the end of the day, the equity that was added to be able to have our first deal be such a win, I think that's no better way to put that in the books. Yeah, I think think
2: the the way it all worked out too, you know, like we've done deals where, you know, you go over cost, or over timeline, it gets a little spicy right like you know people get upset or they feel like it's getting like the fact that we all understand the process understand how everything works there you know, were never issues with you know if something takes a little longer or something costs a little more because We all just know that how it goes, right? Yeah. And there was a a moment during our
0: bridge lawn phase where I feel like we definitely were putting a lot more money into the deal than we wanted to. (laughs) Yeah. We just need 20 more grand. Then we're done. Hey, we need another 30. When does this 30 come from? (laughs) That got a little tight, but thankfully, you know, we got that pulled back out with our restructure and everything was good. So those are, uh, these are the deals that we
2: like to do. And if we can get a couple more of these in the books, I mean, we'll be in good shape yeah i mean we just talked about this being our first bigger deal um let's maybe in general because i mean also there's a lot of like younger agents that you know kind of listen to this or you know, people that want to get into real estate what are your like you know tips and advice for somebody that's like starting out or maybe agents that you know been selling for a while but want to get into development or multi-family like give some like advice to like you know younger up and coming guys? Yeah, and that's
0: a question like I actually get asked a lot by agents and I think the best piece of advice I could tell anybody is to not get way too emotional about keeping every piece of property that you have. For example, if you just start by picking up single family homes and duplexes, there's gonna be times where you have to level and go to pick up a better deal or to get your cash flow where you want it to be. So as long as you're keeping the deals that are no brainer wins, and you're moving the rest of the money forward into these great deals, you're gonna be in good shape. So as long as you're not overextending yourself and taking on a deal just to have a deal, you're gonna be in good shape.
1: What was your very, very first deal? Doesn't have to be investment or development related, your first real estate deal. What was it and when was it? Yeah, so my very first deal that I bought for myself was a single
0: family home as an investment and it was $75,000. I bought a three bedroom, two bathroom home for $75,000. almost like an offer. Yeah. So I was in heaven and to be honest, you know, at the time it was tough to come up with the money for the down payment on that, but we did it. And um, we ended up selling that house for around $145,000 after putting maybe 30,000 into it. But I held that one for a long-term as a rental property, which was pretty nice.
2: Very good. Yep. Uh, what are some of the, 'Cause obviously we try to give advice with you know stuff like this, like the podcast. What are some of the you know good advice and bad advice you've been given over the years from other people, you know, financially, business wise that you know, looking back and said that was definitely none of the shit or like you know, that was like a huge game changer for my career? Yeah, I think the
0: biggest thing that I see and it hasn't happened to me personally, but it's because it's always kind of been a fear of mine, is seeing investors and other agents get over leveraged. So if they're doing a fix and flip and they're borrowing 100% of the acquisition, 100% of the rental, and they're paying their mortgage payments at the end of the deal, that is something that they're probably not in a position they should be taking on these sort of projects. So I think it's always better to play any deal safe, have your own capital invested, and make sure it's going to be a a win um, instead of kind of over-leveraging yourself, whether it be for a rental or a fix and flip or anything at all. Just make sure you're in a good, safe, secure position. And at the end of the day we're all real estate agents so i mean we can all focus on sales you can always increase your cash flow in safe conservative ways i don't think you need to go and try and flip a home to make a hundred thousand dollars profit just to save yourself a little bit of labor focus.
1: let's uh let's leave the real estate side aside for a second yeah so we know you you love to travel uh i think you're definitely on the, the travel leaderboard from uh from the three of us Try. um tell us maybe i know where you were recently that's also one of my destinations but yeah how how does that tie into your overall lifestyle and how does it help you to kind of stay focused and and disconnect uh, while you're you know running all these different different businesses and how do you not uh, like completely freaked out while you like in a different time zone, uh, while everything's going there
0: yeah so one of my favorite things was like getting into real estate I was 100% working myself to the bone for probably four or five years and you know I earned a good income I got set up but I didn't spend those four or five years traveling or doing any of that stuff um, so once I got to that point where I felt like I had done well and I wanted to go kind of enjoy some of my success at the time Um, I started traveling and what I did love about traveling was it taught me how to delegate because I was super obsessed with kind of taking on everything by myself I had to be there at the inspection I had to be there at the showing I had to talk to every single client and that's the way I was and um, once I started traveling I had to learn how to delegate delegate those showings delegate the paperwork delegate the inspections and doing that allowed me um, room to grow the real estate team So it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it took me from being the one guy who's kind of running everything to being able to delegate um, and hire kind of those critical components, an assistant or a showing agent, and all of those little things really added up. And so now when I travel, still getting 100 emails and 100 phone calls, but at the end of the day, I know I've got people to afford them to and that are here to help me get them taken care of. So that's credible.
2: Well, the other thing that you're obviously a goad at is using miles and stuff to travel, right? Like uh, we always yeah. call and text you, about advice on how you do it. Yeah. I still don't get it most of the time, but um, obviously there's a, we've seen it other people like you rack up points by using you know, like your credit card for flips and everything. Tell us a little bit about how you how you figured that part out. I'll tell you guys, the thing that got me to using points
0: was a trip I took with one of my friends, Phil. I think you guys had met him before. But um, we were on the flight and I actually used, I think something absurd, like 60,000 American airline points or something to book, to pay for my Wi-Fi on the flight. And Phil actually almost choked me on the plane because that's the same amount of points he used to book his entire first class flight to Hong Kong on the same flight we were on. I used the same amount of points for the Wi-Fi as he used for his entire flight. So from that moment on, I never booked another flight without consulting with Phil. And he's a point hack guru. So if you guys ever have questions, I mean, he shared a lot of info with me, but he's still the best. I consult with him on everything I do. And um, like I just told you guys, our October trip, first class flight to uh, Egypt on Emirates is only 87,000 points. So if you wait and look for the right deals, you can travel very far for
1: a very good price. Yeah, maybe uh, give the same advice you gave to us like uh, before we started. Uh, just a couple of nuggets on your on your experience and where to go where to how to convert the points right because uh, I think there's uh, some good input here yeah exactly so I mean we always use um
0: I like booking any first-class flights on Amex because you get a 35% rebate so if you use a hundred percent points you get a 35% rebate so if you do the math on that a $3,000 flight you're getting a thousand dollars off right off the bat if you use all points so little simple things like that are great, but then um, also exchange websites and platforms. I think it's called Points
1: Stop Does it mean using your actual card or using the actual points before converting? Oh, points before conversion on Amex, okay. if you're booking direct.
0: But if you can convert points, sometimes there's some crazy deals where you can convert one Amex point into like four Singapore Airlines that's or that's Asia Air, do, yeah. Emirates. Sometimes there's some insane deals where you can get four to one points on Mary Bonvoy for a hotel, stuff like that. So I always take a look at them and if I think it's a good deal, then I call Phil to make sure it's a good <laughs> deal and then I'll book them So that's the nice thing, is just having good resources. Same with anything we do, real estate, travel, it's all about having good resources and connections. Yeah. Where's the best place you've been? Best place I've been to is still like, without a doubt, my favorite place is Dubai. I don't know why, but it's just like a different level of living out there, so. Um, been to a lot of countries like Bali, Thailand, as you guys all know. There's just something about
2: traveling somewhere that seems like it's kind of futuristic. And Dubai was definitely that place. So you're you're in Tucson. You always come up to Scottsdale. Like uh, any, you're gonna stay in Tucson for a longer time. Like you have any plan. Like because you usually travel a lot, you see somewhere that like, could just set, see. What, like you're gonna get the itch to like you know move somewhere else and do
1: something else. Or you, like for the record for the past three years. Oh, yeah, at least you years. said you're going to move yeah. up, but we also talked for three sure. years and then we did business. So maybe this yeah, year, maybe <laughs> we're still dating. I'm not sure about Scottsdale. Yet. So um, what I'm looking to do is, I mean, I would
0: love to be up there. Every time I see you guys close a deal, I'm like, I should be up there doing some real estate in Scottsdale. So I think what I need to do is pretty much just figure out a way to duplicate what I have here up in Scottsdale. And that would be the best structure for me. So, I mean, I love the Tucson market because as you guys know, it's about connection to, you know, and everything. And I've been doing real estate in Tucson for 10 years. So getting to know a lot of the investors, a lot of the sellers and a lot of people that you kind of nurture those relationships for so long, you don't won't really want to step away from those. So I'll definitely
1: have a place short term up in Scottsdale without a doubt. But Tucson is home for now. Well, be our guest anytime. We have uh, two, two guest bedrooms and uh, in the future, probably a little bit more. So that's what i like to hear. Anytime. Good. Um, other
2: thing is, I mean, we know you, you dealt to some other businesses too, right? Because as most of us, you know, real estate is your daily income. That's where you make your money. That's how you, that's where you know everything, right? Like that's, that's where you the the go. And then, but you tried a little bit in Amazon, you know, we, you got some JB deals going. Kind of tell us a little bit about what else you got, you know, outside of real estate and on the business side
0: yeah and that's what i love right is real estate gives you a great grounds to be able to expand invest try new things see what works see what doesn't work and for me anytime i try to expand into something new like amazon drop shipping and these things a lot of people have success with these but for me a lot of it seems too good to be true when someone says completely passive income 20 grand a month it's only fifty thousand. Okay. Sign me up. But then once you see the real numbers, I mean, by the time you factor in all your taxes, shipping costs, the person handling the returns, all the the red flags on your account, pausing (laughs) stuff, like it's just too much. Right? So what I think I like to do and stick to is working with people who specialize in whatever industry they're in, making sure you have like a good partner in that industry that you can trust or partner with, I think is going to be, Critical for expansion into any other market, no matter what it
2: is. So, is there any industry or market that you like to get into, like restaurants or whatever the case may be, is there anything that pizza? Good
0: yeah. So, what I like to do is literally, I think being like a passive investor in a good, solid business is always a great idea. So, if you can plant your money somewhere and you know it's going to provide cash flow in the future and it's got the value to appreciate, whether it's a restaurant or anything, I have a lot of friends in Tucson who have done very well by simply investing in partnerships and, you know, businesses, restaurants that they can see the return on. So,
1: well, one, one question that I, um, that I was curious about is how do you, how do you stay motivated? What's, what's your personal game plan, right? Outside of deals. I mean, you, you're obviously still very young. You have a lot of experience, but uh, we also know you, you enjoy the findings in life and you don't want to kill yourself working for the rest of your life. So uh, give us, give us some insight here.
0: Yeah. I think as we all know, I mean, there's no way that any one of us would want to just go sit on a beach somewhere and have, you know, a hundred grand a month coming in. It sounds great, but at the end of the day, we'd all be bored to death after one month of that and be back to working or investing or trying to build or develop something new. It's like the, the chase of a good project and the chase of growth, that's like what keeps me motivated. None of us like to stay in the same spot. So when we can see growth and you know, development happening, that's what at
2: the end of the day keeps us going. So, yeah, I mean, the question we always ask, um, you know, if, if you look back 10 years, if you could sit down with Eddie 2014, when, when you just got started, what advice would you give yourself, you know, with everything you know now that you didn't know back then? Yeah. Know, to make your life easier and, you know, maybe even like, you know, more, you know even more successful or faster. Yeah, without a doubt, my
0: best piece of advice to my younger self would have been to hold onto those appreciating assets. There was a million deals where I chased, you know, a $65,000 wholesale, a $100,000 wholesaler assignment, when in hindsight, I had people who were like, in the game longer than me in real estate. And they're like, you realize that you could just keep this deal refinance it and then pull out your money tax free and you know, six or eight months. And instead of doing those deals where I was kind of pulling out the cash in the future, a little less, I was kind of just taking the bigger assignments of checks and stuff like that, which is great. But at the end of the day, we all know our biggest and only consistent business partner for life is going to be uncle Sam. And when you are making those big, consistent checks like that, you're gonna be spending a lot of money on those taxes. And so when you're accumulating real estate assets like these rental properties and the larger units, you're just saving yourself a fortune, not just because of the cash flow and appreciation, but also the tax play on everything. So I definitely think I would have held a lot more real estate um, starting off earlier
1: in the game. Which, you know, that's probably the the same advice that we would give to ourselves too. At the same time, it's a very fine line, right? You've You've gotta get, get out of just making commissions and you need some big pops right to be able to have the yeah. you know the money available to you actually afford to have in assets that are just producing the cash flow right yeah. so um, so I guess that's always a fine line we 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 are starting to shift but I also think that's that's a place where you know you got to you got to be able to work yourself in a place like that where you can afford Um, to have, I mean, we have a lot of money tied up um, in Tucson um, with our own cash, right? And we're not gonna pull everything out. um, And we have that money at, not at risk, but we had that money invested for for a while now, right? So if if we would be dependent on that money as far as paying our rent, right? That would have been an issue. Exactly. Yeah, you always have
0: to have like good cash reserves and that's one thing i learned you know in business coaching that was probably one of the best things i ever did is to have at least six months of all your expenses and reserves in any account you have whether it's your business accounts living expenses you probably want more than that in reserves before you start investing that capital because as we all know there are good deals and there are bad deals and anytime we're making an investment it could be great when we buy it but 12 18 months if the market changes like we just saw happen it could really change those numbers on those deals so just keeping that cash flow the reserves being conservative and you know making the smart play that's the best thing you can do